Oh, thank you to Pastor Mark and Bethany for those lively announcements. Almost a kerfuffle, some would say there, but uh, uh-huh, see what I did? All right. Well, I was watching a rerun of a TV show recently in which the main character and his friend were driving in a car. They were following their GPS. They wanted to make a turn. There was some sort of confusion. They ended up turning down a side road and driving the car literally right into a lake. I mean, literally, the car is sinking in the lake. And I remember thinking, oh, that's kind of funny, but it's a little bit ridiculous. That would never really happen in real life, would it? But the more I thought about it and the more that we pull out our phones and our GPS, I think we'd pretty much follow those things almost anywhere. We were driving home over the holidays from a ski trip, and we saw these highway signs. You know, on the side of the highway said, the whole freeway was completely shut down right past Las Vegas. And we needed to do this massive detour. But then my phone's GPS popped up, and it said it had found a way through the traffic. So I did what any normal person would do in that circumstance. I blindly followed the thing. And it took us off the highway, like in the middle of nowhere, and we're on this little side road right next to the highway. We're doing like 65 right next to the highway. We look over, and the the freeway is just completely at a standstill. And we're just flying by for like a half hour. I'm high-fiving the kids in the backseat. We're feeling pretty good about this whole experience. And we finally got to the spot where the traffic stopped and the, and the GPS is routing us under the freeway and then onto this on-ramp. And we can see the sirens and the police cars and we're thinking, sweet, we're getting on right after where the accident is. Until we got under the freeway into the on-ramp and then we realized, despite what my GPS said, the freeway's still closed. They're not letting anybody on there. They're just routing them out into the desert to drive around for hours in circles. I don't know, there's nothing out there. We had to do a U-turn, go all the way back up into Vegas, massive detour. We got home like four days later. (laughs) I remember staring at my phone like I'd been betrayed by a close friend. I said, how? How could you do that to me? I, I thought I could trust you. Now, there's a lot of things in this world that we put our trust in. But like my phone's GPS, they were all, to some extent, untrustworthy. Family, friends, our job, even our spouse are all going to fail you at some point. But God never will. God is one you can trust 100% of the time. God's capable of leading you through anything, and your job is just to trust in Him. Okay, so how do we do that? You show your trust when you come to God in prayer and you seek out his will. You ask him for help when you're in a trial. You thank him when he does come through for you. You see, your prayer life is an indicator of your trust in God. Because if you trust God, that he's a powerful God and he's able to save, then you're going to regularly seek him out for guidance. You're going to regularly come to him in prayer. Just like if you need directions, You don't even think twice. You pull out your phone and you plug in those directions. You need a similar approach with God. So natural to to come to him in prayer and seek his guidance, we don't even think twice about it. So I want to challenge you tonight to evaluate your prayer life as an indicator of how much you trust God. But I also want to encourage you why we as Christians can confidently trust in our good God. And with that as introduction, let's turn to our passage tonight in Psalm 20. And as we're turning to Psalm 20, let's review the points from this weekend's lesson that Pastor Mike taught on the very same psalm. He gave us two 
points. He said, first, we need to pray for the right things. What are the right things? We need to pray for a perfect defense and a biblical offense. We should be praying for things like closeness with God. We have that. That's going to give us godly desires. And God's going to grant us those desires so we can pray with thankful hearts. We've got to pray for the right things. But then we also have to confidently trust in a good God. And that's going to change our prayers because we're going to pray with confident deference to God as the one in charge. We're going to pray with no earthly confidence. We're not going to put our trust in anything on this earth. And we're going to pray with a confident expectance that God's going to do what he says he's going to do. And what I want to do tonight is dive deeper into that relationship between point one and point two. Dive deeper into the relationship between prayer and our trust in God. So with that, let's go ahead and turn to Psalm 20 and let's look at the first couple verses. <coughs> Excuse me. Psalm, 1, Psalm 20, verse 1 says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. And these verses, just these first three verses here, highlight something that's so foundational to our trust in God. And that God remembers us in our trouble and in our trials. When times are tough, when things are against us, when people are against us, God is faithful to bring us through those trials. And what we need to do, our call as Christians, is to cry out to him in prayer. As I put on your outline, point number one, we need to seek God in our trials. you got to seek God in our trials. Why? Because as verse 1 says, the Lord answers us in our day of trouble. When we pray, God hears and God answers. The God of the universe hears and answers us when we pray. That is an amazing fact. And that's something that we as Christians don't appreciate as much as we should. I remember a number of years ago, I got a tour of the White House. Thank you. Such a nice place. Anyways, I got a tour of the White House. I had a friend that was in the uh, NSA, and he got me this private, behind-the-scenes tour of the White House. Now, this was some time ago because Clinton was in the White House at the time. And those of you old enough to remember this, you might remember this, it was news for some reason at the time, was he put a hot tub in the White House. And so Bill, I don't know where he was, comes back from a long weekend and comes back to the White House and wants to hit the hot tub, as presidents are prone to do, I guess. So we're in the middle of our tour, and the Secret Service comes in and it shoes us all away. President's going to use the hot tub. You've got to get out of here. So we shoot away. 20 minutes later, we're somewhere else. Secret Service comes in again. Coming out of the hot tub, you've got to get away. You've got to move away. We weren't able to get anywhere near the guy. We weren't able to be in his presence, and that is just a person. But yet, in prayer, we can come right into the presence of the God of the universe when he prays, and he answers us. You need to be amazed at that fact, and that amazement should drive you to pray more often. More than that, look back at verse 1. It says, the name of the God of Jacob will protect you. Just like God protected Jacob through all his wanderings in the desert, built a nation out of him. God's going to be faithful to protect you. Or verse 2, he will send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. God will send help and God will send support. Not always in the way you think you might need it. Like when the guy in the 4 or 5 cuts you off and you pray that God sends a, I don't know, a legion of angels down to flip that guy's car off the road. That's not how he does it. What does he do? He sends you spiritual strength. He sends you strength of soul to get you through that trial. You've got to seek God out in your trials. And I think it's really, really interesting. Look back at verse 1 again, where it says, the name of the God of Jacob protects you. The name. And when we're talking about the name, 
we're talking about his character. Like when you say someone has a good name, that means that person has a good character. So there's something helpful about knowing the character of God that helps us through our trials. It gives us more boldness to come to him. So what I want to do really briefly is talk about four traits, four characteristics of God that are helpful for us to remember as we go through trials. Starting with pointing finger number one, that he is omnipresent. God is with us each and every step of the way. There is nowhere that we can go that's away from the presence of God. Psalm 139, I put it on the screen, says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, oh, you're there. All right, well, if I make my bed in Sheol, well, you're there too. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. We don't have a distant God. We, have, we don't have a God that's ever separated from us. He is with us. He is always there each and every step of the way. Went to SeaWorld last week for my son's birthday. Went there with a bunch of his friends, and we were at the manta ray exhibit. There's manta rays swimming around, and there's this speaker, and this guy's voice coming over the speaker talking about manta rays. He's droning on and on, and eventually the voice of the speaker says, and hey, if you don't know where I am, Look up, I'm in a drone about 100 feet over the exhibit. And all the kids are looking up. And I look over, and there's just this lazy old guy sitting on a bench in the back with a microphone, and he's just messing with the kids. <laughs> so I did what any good dad would do in that situation, and I played right along. I walked up to my son and my friends, oh, I think I see him, no, he's right up there. And my son and his friends are just staring into the sky, not realizing that he's sitting right there next to him the whole time. But I thought we often do the same thing with God in our trials staring up off into the sky, wondering why God seems so far, why he seems so distant, why he doesn't know what we're going through, not realizing that God is right there with you every step of the way. God never leaves you, never forsakes you. He is omnipresent, and we need to take comfort in that. But not only is he omnipresent, he is also sovereign. Pointing finger number two, he's also sovereign. He's the guy in charge. He's the one calling the shots. Psalm 103, 19. And the screen says that the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over most things. Underline most things there. You see that? You don't see that. What does it say? Over all. Over everything. That means that there is nothing that happens outside the plan of God. You find yourself in a day of trouble? No big deal. It is all part of God's plan, and he's got a reason for it. It's like, remember teaching my kids to swim. When they're young in the water, you kind of let them off to float or swim. And if your kids were any like mine, they hated it. Right? They hated it. It was their day of travel. <laughs> but I had a plan. Right? I knew my kids needed to learn to swim, and that was working that plan. And if they would have just trusted me, right, it would have gone a lot smoother. You've got to trust in God's sovereign plan. God's got a good and a perfect reason for doing what he does. If you got a health issue, God's not surprised by that. He doesn't say, oh, no, I heard you were sick. I'm so sorry. No, he is sovereign over your sickness. You just have to trust him. Or maybe that annoying boss that you have at work. This is a rough one for me. But you got to think, this, I don't know why that was funny. Um, <laughs> that is the exact boss that God has determined that you should have. He's sovereign. 
Those fights with your spouse, your unruly kids, whatever it is, you got to know that God is in control and he's working it out for your good, as Romans 8.28 says. And that should give us comfort. That should help us trust him. And that should drive us to him in prayer. Thirdly, he is also omnipotent. That means he is all-powerful. And that means that there is no problem you have that is too big for God to solve. Jeremiah 32, verse 17 says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arms. And here it is. Nothing is too hard for you. The God that can make the blind man see and make the lame man walk. The God that can create the universe by the word of his mouth. That God is more than capable of taking care of whatever problem that you might have. So when your trial seems too big, when your problem seems too big, bring it to God in prayer because you know that God is bigger than your problem. Finally, pointing finger number four, he is faithful. If he says in these verses in Psalm 20 we're looking at that he is going to help us and he is going to protect us, well, I guess that is what he is going to do because God's word doesn't change. When he says something, he means it. I usually do what I tell my kids I'm going to do. I think I'm a fairly decent dad. My word's pretty good. I only forget sometimes and only drop the ball every now and then. But never make the mistake of thinking that God is somehow like us. God is not like us. He never forgets. God never drops the ball. These words we're reading in Psalm 20 are over 3,000 years old, but they are as good as if they were spoken yesterday. Because we have a God that's 100% faithful to his word. God's omnipresent. He's sovereign. He's omnipotent. He's faithful. He's more than capable of getting us through any trial that we could face. All we need to do is to seek God out in our trials and come to him in prayer. Now, as we go back to Psalm 20 and look at the next two verses, they're going to be a little more cheerful here. Let's read verses 4 and 5 of Psalm 20, which says, May he grant you your heart's desires and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation, and in the name of our God set up banners, may the Lord fulfill all your petitions. And now we're not talking about trouble and help. Now we're talking about joy and heart's desires. And that's a good reminder because when we seek God out in our trials and when he does come through and we do overcome and we do have victory, don't forget to thank God for his faithfulness. Or point number two on your outline, you need to thank God in your victories because God's the one that's responsible when things go well in your life. And he'll grant you your heart's desires, as verse 4 says. He'll fulfill all your plans. But you've got to remember what Pastor Mike said this week, and there's a prerequisite here, that you've got to align your desires with God's desires. When you get close to God, your desires become his desires, and then he'll grant you your heart's desires because those are the same desires that are his desires. And then we'll shout for joy, as verse 5 says. Then we'll set up banners because with God, we have a victory that's already won. But notice, and this is important, notice how verse 5 ends. It says, may the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Who? The Lord fulfills all your petitions. And this is important, remember, because God is the one that is granting to you every good thing. James 1.17, you know this verse, right? Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from who? From God. From the Father of lights. 
Do you recognize this? That God is the author of every good thing in your life? Or do you think that somehow you played a part? Did a uh, March Madness pool with my family. Had my uh, parents, nieces, nephews, even had my kids involved. My 10-year-old did a pool. 10-year-old doesn't know a whole lot about uh, basketball. But he did a, did a pool, had some funny picks. He had, I don't know, like, like UCI winning the whole thing, and a whole bunch of upsets. So I sat down with him, and I, you know, I reviewed his pool with him before the tournament started, and I guided him to some wiser choices. Guess who's already got the pool won, even before the last weekend? My 10-year-old son, he's already won the whole thing. And I overheard my wife asking him, hey, how did you pick so many right picks? He starts waxing on about the uh, beauty of the process. Well, you know, I looked at the mascots, and this one looked tougher than that one, and so I thought that, that's basically what I did. And I was listening to him. I didn't want to burst his bubble, and I'm thinking, dude, why are you thinking you did all this, right? I'm the one that picked those. A pool for you. But then I thought, do we make the same mistake with God, somehow thinking that we are the author of the good things that happen to us in our lives? Think that you worked so hard for that promotion that you got at work? You think you did that? So proud of that new house that you found and you bought? Those kids that you behaved to train so well? Or do you recognize God? God's the author of every good thing in your life. He gives us everything down to the air that we breathe and the food that we eat and the home that we live in. There is absolutely nothing in your life that you have that wasn't given to you by God. Everything comes from him. And you have got to, in your response, come to him in prayer and thank him for the good that he does for you. And that means you should probably have a process in your life for recognizing the goodness of God. I've told you this before. My wife and I, we keep a, a thanks list. It's just a little spiral notebook that sits on our bathroom counter. And as we go through the week, we write down things that we're thankful for. And then we review it at the end of the week. We sit down, we pray, and we look at that list. And we are absolutely amazed in just one week, at the good things that God does in our lives. You've got to have a process. I don't, whatever it is, it doesn't matter what it is, but you've got to have a process to record the good that God does in your life, regularly coming to him in thanksgiving for that good. Don't be that ungrateful kid that doesn't recognize the good that his father does for him, but thank God in your victories. All right, let's take a little recap here. What do we know so far? First, God's faithful in trials. Second, God's faithful in good times. Either way, that should drive us to God in prayer. But there's one last concept in these last couple verses I want to talk about tonight that will hopefully tie all of this together for you. So let's go back to Psalm 20, and let's read verses 6 through 9. Psalm 20, verse 6 says, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. We should always remember, as verse 6 tells us, that I know the Lord saves his anointed. And he does it with the power of his right hand. The people back in David's day knew that they would have victory because they trusted in God. Didn't matter if others trusted in chariots or others trusted in horses. They trusted in the name of the Lord, their God. And this is a good reminder for us. Point number three on your outline. We need to trust in God alone. Trust in God alone. Don't put your trust in anything else because everything that's not named God is untrustworthy. Everything else will let you down. 
But God never will. God never will. We can trust him. Now, there was a reason that people in that day trusted in chariots and horses. They were imposing. They were powerful. They were useful. People thought they looked good. They wanted them. They thought if they had more horses and more chariots, they'd win battles. They'd have more success in life. We do the same thing today, just with different stuff. If you look at this word trust, the Hebrew word trust literally means to, to remember, to set your mind on something. That means the things that you're trusting and are the things that you're setting your mind in, the things that you're always thinking about. Well, what are those things that we're prone to trust in? What are those things that are things of the world that, that occupy our minds, that we're, that we're always thinking about, that we're even basing our joy on? They may be things that aren't even inherently bad in themselves, but they can be bad if they take your trust off of God. Well, like what? What do we trust in? How about money? Do you trust in money? I mean, who doesn't want financial security? Who doesn't want their future all planned out? But if that's what monopolizes your mind, well, then you've got a problem. It's like that fool that was going to tear down his barns and build bigger barns, right? And he was putting his trust in that. He died that very night, and then what good was all of his money? Maybe you're not trusting in money. Maybe you're trusting in the stuff that money can buy. Like that house that you always wanted. Oh, if I only had that house with that perfect kitchen and, and that yard. If I just had that, I'd be happy. If I just had that car, that would make me happy. Don't trust in those things. You should have enough experience with the things of this world that you know that there's no joy in them, that they don't satisfy. Or maybe it's that career you've worked so hard for. Anyone that's lost a job as I have can testify that that can all be gone just in a flash, so don't trust in it. Or even our kids, right? Some of you make your life all about your kids, and they define you. I hate to break it to you, but your kids make lousy gods. Sure, they're all cute right now, but one day you're going to wake up and you're going to have a teenager, like I do. <laughs> My son officially became a teenager last week, but don't, don't worry about us, Don't because God's been preparing us. He's been a teenager in spirit for about three years now, so <laughs> we are prepared. But I remember I used to come home from work. I'd open the door. What would happen? The kids would come running up, Daddy's home, yay! Now I come home, I open the door, and... The dog? Dog comes running over. Someone's happy to see me. Walk in and find my kids, I don't know, watching TV, doing their homework. Like, what? You were gone? I'm not saying kids aren't a blessing from God, but I'm saying if you make your life all about your kids, you're setting your mind only on them, you define yourself by your kids, you're going to be disappointed. Even your marriage. Marriage, it's an amazing gift from God, is it not? But that could be misused. Because you can idolize that perfect marriage. You can idolize that, that perfect spouse. And apologies to the newlyweds here, but your spouse isn't perfect. Right? Newsflash. Right? They're going to disappoint you. They're going to let you down. If you are trusting in your marriage as the basis for your joy, that's misplaced trust. It doesn't matter whatever it is, anything else in, you, in your life that you use to organize or run your life. This is how you school kids. This is, this is the right way to discipline them. This is the right way to eat healthy Whatever it is, these aren't bad things, but they're not the magical success or secret to success in life. So don't put your trust in them. All of these things, every single one of them at its 